Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. In this episode, we'll be hearing from CTSI's newly appointed chief executive, John Herriman. John joined CTSI at a challenging time. The consumer and business landscape has changed dramatically over the past year. And as we emerge from a second COVID-19 lockdown, there are many unanswered questions about what the long-term implications of the pandemic could be. There are also many challenges for businesses and consumers brought about by EU exit, with the UK's new position on the world stage posing questions and creating new uncertainty in a whole range of areas. And trading standards itself faces numerous challenges, not least in its need to become more inclusive and representative, and in the necessity to attract new recruits who are equipped to take on whatever the future may throw at them. The interview, which was conducted during John's first week in the job at the end of April, covers these issues and more. He started off by telling us about how his career has brought him to the top job at CTSI. Hello, I'm John Herriman, and I'm the recently joined Chief Executive of the Chartered Trading Standards Institute. I've had a pretty diverse and rewarding career, uh, but I, I genuinely feel feel as though all roads are leading to CTSI or all roads have led to CTSI. And I probably should also say that I'm feeling very privileged to be joining an organisation with such a, a long tradition and history um, and uh, that's played a, a real role in the recent pandemic and, uh, and also the response to Brexit as well. But I guess in terms of what's led me here, it's always been for me about professional standards. I've always been perfect, uh, passionate about professional standards uh, and in everything that I've done um, through my whole career, whether that's been enforcing them or delivering high quality outcomes. Uh, and that's included working in envi- environments which are high stakes environments where things go wrong and you know, people could lose their lives. Um, and I'm talking there about environments in the maritime sector, things like the Royal Navy, where I worked in bomb disposal and diving. Uh, but then also working in other areas uh, like human resources in local governments, working with Ofcom in British Telecom and the telecom sector, um, or also working in the uh, trade union environment, national membership organisation, running the National Association of Head Teachers. It's all been about professional standards. Um, and that also included then working in the charity sector. So not-for-profit for me has been a sort of a, a real driver. Uh, plus, I'm also a chartered engineer. Uh, I'm also a chartered HR professional. So I really get the importance of a professional membership organization, professional membership body, um, as well as then seeing the value that they add to the sector. And I think that's really important. I think also for me, I'm driven by a really strong sense of purpose and a strong sense of duty. That for me is a real opportunity to serve the public, which I like doing. Um, Plus also here, it's about serving the membership as well, uh, which again is the real add value. Uh, as well as then supporting businesses. And for me, one of the things that really attracted me to CTSI and trading standards was it's all about the social purpose that really sits at the heart of the mission. Uh, And that I really identified sort of strongly with. Uh, As I've said before, it was for me coming into the not-for-profit, I've committed to the not-for-profit sector. It's something I'm absolutely committed to now. Uh, And the reason for that is because values sit at the heart of what it does. Um, And I like working for values-driven organisations. And when I sort of got to know about CTSI and as I've been in for this first week, um, I just see that values underpin everything that they do. And I love being a part of an organisation that uh, that thinks like that. I love being part of organisations that are about training and development and developing people. Fundamentally, I think everything's about people and a profession is all about people. And it's a way that a profession 
in this example, you know, CTSI supports a sector. And so in everything that I've done over the course of my career, whether that's working in the trade union environment, working in the armed forces, at the heart of all of that has sat the uh, professional aspects of the, the job that needed to be done. And I think I hope that I'll bring that to CTSI in terms of that deeper understanding or that deep understanding of what a profession can do and the, the impact that a profession can have. Do you have any personal experiences or experiences in your professional life where you've appreciated the value of trading standards? Yes, I have. And I, I must admit, I was deeply affected by a previous role in the charity sector when I worked at the National Emergencies Trust, uh, where I had contact with some of the survivors of the Grenfell tragedy. And that, as I say, deeply affected me. And I know there's an ongoing inquiry and there's legal proceedings at the moment uh, to ensure lessons are learned, which is really important because speaking with some of the victims, all they wanted to know was that what happened to them and their families wasn't going to happen to anybody else. The tragedy that happened that night had trading standards at its core, whether that's to do with construction or whether that was to do with appliance safety. It was about trading standards. And I think with hindsight, tragedies like Grenfell are sometimes avoidable. uh, And I think that's why you need strong mechanisms to be in place to protect the public. There's a lot of people who perhaps wouldn't necessarily appreciate that something like Grenfell is a trading standards issue. Do you think that that's understood by the public at large? I'm not sure it is, actually. Um, I I think there's probably a a fairly stereotypical perception amongst the public of what trading standards does. Uh, And so I think there's a real opportunity to raise the profile of trading standards in relation to, you know, some of these big incidents that have happened with Grenfell uh, a couple of years ago now um, uh, and the tragedy there. But also go back in sort of history, you know, decades, you have foot and mouth. uh, And again, standards you know sat at the heart of that and around sort of um, animal welfare and, uh, and food safety i think there are some challenges around making sure that the public are more aware of the critical role that trading standards plays uh, both you know at the local level protecting consumers let's say within local communities uh, but actually at that sort of more strategic level making sure um, that let's say construction materials are safe um, and therefore Uh, making sure that you can avert some of those larger scale incidents that have occurred. And one thing I would like to be able to do is to make sure that we are able to raise the awareness amongst the public um, of exactly the role that trading standards plays uh, and how trading standards can and does protect them and actually how it could also play a bigger role and also how at the moment um, it is particularly challenged in being able to play that role because of some of the, uh, the budget cuts that we've experienced over the last decade or so. What do you see as the key goals there or the key strategy to try to promote the, the profile of trading standards to an audience of, of decision makers? There are two levels to that. One is the, the local government level, and I used to work in local government, um, so sort of appreciate the governance um, structures that work there. Uh, but then also the relationship between the uh, the local government as well as then national government. Um, and obviously you have local issues uh, and regional issues, and then you have national issues. Uh, and I think we need to be clear about which of those issues that we want to play a role uh, as uh, a CTSI supporting the profession. Uh, so I think within the um, the local government levels, 
um, is very much around supporting the profession at the local level, um, working with them and local councillors, uh, and also the local government association as well, to make sure that everybody sort of fully appreciates uh, the role that trading standards plays. I think also helping them to understand the challenges that we face and why we face those in relation to budget cuts. Uh, and plus also the fact that there are structural changes that are happening within local government that impact on the ability to deliver trading standards um, services effectively. Uh, so I think that's at the, the local level. Um, and then I think at the national level, um, again, it's about making sure that we're able to represent the case around why trading standards needs to be supported and needs to be funded correctly. Uh, and that we also need the the right governance structures in place at the national and the regional level. And obviously the reviews at the moment and consumer white paper um, that are looking at those and also the, uh, the regional governance structures. Uh, and that's something that we need to influence to make sure that whatever structures are ultimately decided on, uh, that we've had the ability to shape uh, based on the views of members at that local level. Uh, and I think being able to pull those two different um, layers together, which is the national and the local, uh, then helps to make sure that we've got a, a really effective trading standard system uh, that'll be fit for the future, because at the moment it's obviously struggling. To what extent do you think the role of CTSI is is to be something of a thorn in the side of decision makers? You know, how much of a nuisance are you prepared to make of yourself when it comes to advocating for increased budget? I think it's really important that as a professional membership body, that we are seen to have a strong but also a measured voice. Um, so I think we have to be able to work in partnership with anybody, uh, and that's OPSS and other membership bodies and, and other organisations um, and agencies. I think that is fundamentally important uh, for us um, as, as an institute. Uh, but I also think that we need to be able to challenge where we need to be able to challenge. So if we see that something isn't right, uh, for example, if we see that trading standards is suffering and the ability to protect consumers is suffering, uh, then we need to be able to say that that is the case. Um, I think within that, um, I also think it's important for us to make sure that we are presenting evidence that makes our case. Uh, so we need to have a, a strong view on policy and policy issues and we need to be supporting evidence-based policy uh, as well. Uh, and I think that's where the power of a membership body and a professional organisation with national reach, uh, as CTSI has, um, really comes into play. Because we have members who are working across local authorities, across the length and breadth of the United Kingdom. They know the issues. We can therefore get the evidence. We have workforce surveys. Uh, we can get comments through lead officers uh, on, uh, on particular policy matters. And then what we should be able to do as the institute sitting at the centre of that is to be able to collate and synthesise that information to be able to then present it into government to say, actually, this is going well, or actually, this isn't going so well. Here's the evidence. And therefore, we think that this is something that should be done about it. And I think by having that sort of evidence-based policy approach, it gives you that ability to have that informed discussion uh, with governments and other stakeholders. And I think that's how you influence um, those uh, those stakeholders like governments and others. Uh, and I think that's an important role of a membership organisation. So, yes, you can have those very close relationships, but also you need to be able to have that uh, more measured voice and to be able to criticise uh, even when you need to. There are two main aspects of trading standards. There's the consumer protection one. But then there's also the business support side. Do you have any thoughts on 
what the prime purpose of trading standards should be, or at least where its attentions should be focused at the moment? I think ultimately, and it's all about protecting consumers, uh, and I think you can do that through both. Um, so I think you have the downstream consumer protection itself, and that's about making sure that you have confident consumers um, and knowing that they're buying from reputable businesses, you're protecting them from scams, uh, and that they've also got that effective redress uh, even when they need it. Uh, but secondly, and I think it's equally important, actually, it's about that business compliance with the regulations and then the promotion of that fair trading environment, because that's where the upstream working with the businesses is going to be um, really important because they've got to be confident that by trading fairly and complying with the law and the regulations that they're not going to be disadvantaged because if they feel as though they're confident businesses in the same way that you've got confident consumers then they're going to be able to and have the confidence to further invest and therefore to improve and i think what you end up there with is that uh, nice balance between confident consumers and fair businesses and with that, you've got the two key components of an effective and safe marketplace in which consumers and businesses are both well informed. And that in turn is going to deliver a vibrant economy. Economy, And that, as we know, is exactly what we need at the moment. So I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's a combination of both. And I think we need to help make sure that it is a combination of the two and that it is balanced in the right way. Is there anything that strikes you as an issue of pressing urgency or that you, you feel particularly passionate about? There are a number of pressing issues that are facing trading standards. Obviously, you've got the ongoing myriad of issues in relation to, uh, to COVID-19 and also to Brexit. And that has resulted in a lot of work for the profession. And I also think the profession has responded in an agile way um, to make sure that it was able to support uh, the public essentially uh, working at that sort of local level and i think that covid19 has changed everything and also whilst it's been a huge tragedy in terms of the number of deaths uh, we've got those longer term social and economic consequences uh, they're going to have a really long tail so i don't think there's ever going to be a post-covid world to be honest uh, because i think that long tail is going to shape everything so within that you start to see particular issues so as a result of what's happened over the last 12 or so months, uh, we've seen that sort of explosion in digital, both as a means of working and then also a way of consuming goods. Uh, and then as a result of that, you obviously end up with the similar increasing challenges of consumer protection uh, within the digital environment. And we're seeing lots of scams very recently um, that are causing a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. So we as a profession need to be on that curve and getting ahead of that curve uh, to make sure that we can um, make inform and make the right decisions. We know that businesses will need help with sorting through the complexity of new trade arrangements post-Brexit, and we've got to be on the front foot there too. Um, and I also think there are going to be new and emergent issues that we aren't even aware of yet, potentially, around Brexit. Uh, and I think that also presents us with a number of opportunities to help lead the way and to support government as it's thinking about a, a global Britain uh, and a new way of looking at the, the UK's role uh, in the world. So I think there's some really important sort of questions um, and priorities that will be involved in there. Uh, then I also think uh, something I'm very keen to get involved in quite quickly is the ongoing discussions about the future national and regional governance structures, uh, as well as those consumer protection frameworks um, that we've got to be a part of because they're going to shape the entire future um, of trading standards and therefore that's going to shape the profession and we need to be thinking ahead uh, and anticipating and to be agile enough to make sure the profession is ready for any of those changes uh, should they come. Um, 
And I've already mentioned about the, the budget constraints. Uh, we need to be making the case why strong, strong trading standards is needed at that local level. We need to highlight um, what isn't being done at the moment. And I think that is always a challenge. It's very difficult to prove what isn't being done. Uh, but actually what you do start to see is the increase in the, uh, you know, the level of fraud or scams and issues. And I think being able to present that in detail uh, will be uh, really important. And I think overall, you know, with Brexit and COVID and actually with budget cuts and changes to local authority structures, what we've seen is that the context in which trading standards operates has therefore changed quite dramatically. Um, and it's going to continue to change. So therefore, what we've got to be um, is agile as a profession to make sure that we can adapt as quickly as we need to. Because if we can't, and we will, um, then consumers won't be as well protected as they could be. Presumably, a big part of tackling these newly emerging issues is to have a workforce which is trained up and equipped to deal with things which perhaps 20, 30 years ago in trading centers just weren't an issue. What, what do you think is the importance of investing in training and particularly in training in technical skills? I think a profession needs to stay up to date with the, with the current environment in which it works. Um, and, I, and I think CTSI has, has, has helped the profession to do that. But I think also that we've seen uh, that the environment has moved on very dramatically and very quickly. And I've certainly seen that in other areas I've been involved in over the last sort of 12 or so months. Uh, we've certainly seen an explosion of digital. and It literally has just um, expanded beyond uh, what anybody can imagine because we needed to, essentially. Um, so I, I think that poses a challenge because... Um, I think we've all probably struggled with the fact that we've had to adjust to something quite so quickly, you know, whether that's sort of working, you know, in a, a virtual world or whether it's adjusting to a Zoom or team meetings. Um, what we've had to do is to change very quickly. Uh, I think the challenge for a profession, um, because it's not just about the ways of working, actually what you've got to look at there is the way in which the profession operates. Um, and in order to do that, you need to be quite thorough about it. Uh, and therefore, that takes time. Um, and I think that's the, that's the challenge because the environment changes, and particularly when it changes so rapidly, uh, what you've got to be able to do is to be agile enough to respond to that and to do the work, uh, to work to, to identify um, how the profession might need to change or where you might need to put in additional training or education or, or where you might need to make some sort of more you know, you know, wholesale sort of adjustments. Um, and I think that all has to be done in conjunction, talking with the, with the membership. Um, I, and I guess this is also, you know, this is a good point to mention, actually. You know, one of the things that's happening at the moment is that there's the qualification review that's happening. And I'm very pleased that's been conducted at the moment. Uh, and I'm going to look forward to seeing what the outcomes of that consultation are when it sort of comes through. Because that robust qualification structure and the education and the professional development that sits around it sits at the heart of what the profession is. Uh, and it's fundamentally important that we get that right. So I think the qualification review at the moment is well-timed um, to be able to make sure that we're looking at that broader context and exactly what it is that members need to be able to operate effectively. CTSI have done a lot of work over the past year or so to promote inclusion and representation within the membership and within the wider profession. The Race and Equalities Working Group was set up last year. I know that just yesterday CTSI signed up to the, the Race at Work Charter. How, how do you see that work continuing in a meaningful way beyond just paying lip service? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is not about words, it's about action. 
um, and I know we signed up to the uh, the BITC charter yesterday, which was really important. And I was really pleased to be able to do that in my sort of first week and so early on in my tenure. Um, but it's also worth saying that diversity and inclusion are something that uh, that are personally and professionally both really important to me. Um, and uh, I was actually very pleased to be able to have some very early conversations with um, the CTSI board um, and staff and a sort of council member actually um, about how seriously they wanted to take diversity and inclusion. Um, and I think we demonstrated that uh, yesterday um, and very appropriate that we should sign up to that charter on Stephen Lawrence Day, a very important day in the in the calendar. Um, so you're right, it's not it's not just about the words, it's about the, the action. Uh, and I think for me, the importance of diversity and inclusion, um, it is about respecting differences. Um, we need to make sure that all differences are respected because I think by doing that, what you start to do is to attract, you retain talent, uh, and you also become representative of the communities that you serve. Uh, and I think that's important for us as an institute in terms of the, uh, the head office and the way that we operate. Uh, but I also think it's really important for the profession as a whole. Uh, actually, we work across the whole of the UK. Um, and we need to make sure that we are a representative profession. I know there's been a lot of work um, that's been done, you know, through the board, the council and the Race and Equalities Working Group. Um, and I think now it's about implementing the five points within the BITC charter uh, to make sure we now sort of progress, you know, through those sort of next steps. And, and it's, you know, something I've worked on in other organisations and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to um, doing something very proactive in this space because where I'd like CTSI to be and where I'd like the profession to be um, is actually a role model to other organisations and other institutions. It's something that we should be seen to lead on um, and that we are seen to be a leader on. And it's um, it's such an important area. What are your thoughts on attracting more people and particularly younger people to the trading standards profession? It's fundamentally important that we've, we've got to attract new younger members into the profession. Uh, they are the lifeblood of the profession, those coming um, uh, in at a younger age. And we've got to make sure that it's an exciting profession, it's dynamic. Uh, and I think it's one of those professions that I think young people would want to join and should want to join. Uh, and the reason I say that is because there aren't many professions that have a social purpose and that sort of the, that sits at the heart of the mission. Uh, and I think that's what uh, a number of young people now, so that, you know, whether they're sort of leaving college, leaving school or coming out of university, they really want. Uh, and I've seen that in, in other roles that are working in the not-for-profit sector. Um, so I think there is a piece that we need to do to market trading standards. Uh, and so it's not seen as this stereotypical image of what people think a, stereo, a trading standards um, officer does, um, but to make sure that uh, people appreciate actually that is driven by this really strong social purpose. It is about protecting the public at the end of the day. And I think you end up with a very different message. So there is some things that we need to do to market actually what trading standards officers are doing right now, um, because you know, everybody has a stereotypical image. But actually, there are lots of examples of younger members of the profession who are doing exactly this. Um, and what we need to do is to help um, or them to help us to share actually what it is they're passionate about, why they've come into the profession, um, because they become the sort of role models and the ambassadors of those that we want to bring in. Um, it's it's really important. And we need to look at the, the different sort of entry points as well. 
Um, I know there's been discussions about sort of apprenticeship entry routes um, and we have to make it flexible for people to come in. And so people can come in, they can test out the profession. Once they're in, I'm pretty confident it's something they want to enjoy and they'd like. Um, and then we need to make sure there is that profession and to, for them to stay in um, for a career and then developing them that through um, that career into you know, potentially more senior leadership roles within local authorities or, or, or other organisations or developing their sort of professional technical skills so they sort of broaden out as a, a trading standards professional. So I think it's a, a question of us showing to others um, how exciting, how dynamic uh, the profession is, how strong the social purpose is, um, and providing some of those examples. And I think if we can do that, and when we do that, because uh, that's one of the discussions I'll be having uh, sort of within the head office, um, then I would hope to see that we'll get more people going to join, uh, because I want to see a really strong, vibrant uh, profession with a you know eye on the future, uh, and knowing that it's going to play a strong role in the future as well. Finally, then, what's your personal passion? What do you do in your free time to to relax? Free time? What's that? A... <laughs> um, I say that because I've got a um, uh, a fairly young family. I have a sort of a nineteen year old stepdaughter, but I've also got a, a six year old daughter as well. Um, so she keeps me on my toes, which is which is great fun. So um, uh, spending time with family is really important. So I'm teaching my six year old daughter to swim at the moment which is fun, not always relaxing, but uh, but it's fun. And then other things I like to do, um, reading. I, I find a good book is really a good way of engrossing. And I'm reading um, Barack Obama's uh, Promised Land at the moment. So only a third of the way through. It's a, it's a very long book, but uh, an absolutely fascinating read if you're interested in sort of American politics and actually global politics. So that for me is a, is a, is a way of escaping. Uh, I tend to go to the gym a fair bit. If it's a nice day, I might go for a run, but I tend to spend most of the time in the gym. That's my sort of a favourite place. Uh, you know, I, I think a, a good tonic for a stressful week is actually a, a night out with a friend or friends, you know, a glass of wine, a nice meal and some good laughter. That sort of tends to help you forget about everything else that's going on in the world at that particular time. Um, so lots of things I like to sort of get involved in. And uh, But I think it's also, you know, it's about getting that sort of balance right as well in between sort of family, friends you know, and other, you know, hobbies that you might have. And uh, once you get that balance right, which is always difficult, I know, it's again, the, the, the current context. So that helps me to switch off anyway. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to John Herriman for speaking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.